0: Excited to add my welcome to that that you've already experienced, and especially to all of those who are joining us across South Florida, but also across the nation and uh, around the world through our church online community. Happy Easter, Christ Journey Easter 2019, and um, and especially to those of you who uh, it, perhaps are checking us out from Paris today or our friends in Sri Lanka in the aftermath of tragedies in both of your areas. We invite God's blessing to you as we gather as the family today. And then what I would like to do so that we could all get on the same page at once here, uh, and also if you're a first-time guest and you've joined us, thank you for honoring us in that. But I want to invite everybody to join me in repeating the words of the Easter angel who said this, He is not here, he is risen as he said, okay, so I'm gonna say it and then let's all turn the volume up to 11 and let's take a deep breath and speak so as to be heard. He is not here, he is risen as he said. Ready? He is not here, he is risen as he said. Okay, now let me do it once and you echo. He is not here, he is risen as he said. He is not here, he is risen as he said. Amen, and because he has, Because he has risen, we invite his blessing upon every heart, upon every home, upon every life that is connecting with us through the Christ journey today, um, not only here but around the world. May God's blessing be yours. Now, maybe you saw this when it first uh, occurred in the news. I I did, and when I saw it, I thought, uh, how ironically human. It was a story about a guy who had shown up. He was wearing a sweatshirt and a Washington Nationals baseball cap, and he had planted himself by a trash bin in a busy plaza subway in Washington, D.C. And um, a- after he got there, he opens a violin case, you know, takes the instrument out, sprinkles a few coins in there, and, and begins to play. But he doesn't just play any music. He starts with one of the most challenging pieces that Bach ever composed for violin. And he wasn't playing just any violin. The instrument he was playing had been handcrafted in 1713 by Stradivari, and it was so famous that it had actually been stolen twice. The artist who was playing it was one of today's most accomplished violinists, Joshua Bell. And he was there... Undercover with the Washington Post newspaper as part of an experiment that was seeking to ask this question. Would the greatest violinist in the world playing the best music ever written on the most expensive violin get anybody's attention at rush hour? I mean, he looked like a common street entertainer, and he was standing right there by a trash bin. So what happened? Well, three minutes in to his performance, after 63 people had rushed by, one man finally slows down and looks, but he doesn't stop. Double the time, now six minutes into his performance, and one guy who, uh, who stops, kind of meanders a little bit, and then, uh, then cycles back and props himself against the wall and stops to listen. All total in that entire 15-minute performance, 1,070 people rush by. 27 dropped something in the violin case for a total of $32. Mr. Bell usually makes $1,000 for every minute he plays in concert. The resulting newspaper article won a Pulitzer Prize. And asked two questions. Embedded in the article were two questions. The first one is this. If a great musician plays great music but nobody hears, was he really any good? And then second question. If we can't take time out of our lives to stay a moment and listen to one of the best musicians on earth play some of the best music ever written. If the surge of modern life is so overpowers us that we are deaf and blind to something like that. What else are we missing? If, uh, what does it mean? What does it mean when the beauty and artistry of such mastery is treated not only as if it's, you can just pass it by, but it, treated it as if it's invisible, if it doesn't even exist, as if the, the music is just noise? The Gospels, uh, The question is, what are we missing? So the Gospels tell us a similar story about one who, though he created the world, he came into the world, but the world didn't recognize him. It says that though the world was made through him, he didn't didn't recognize him. He came to his own, but his own own didn't receive him. I guess something had happened to distract them. Something had happened to deaden their sensitivities. Actually, Jesus said at one point, you know, we have ears, but we just don't hear. We have eyes, but, but we don't see what's right in front of us, actually. And yet still, he comes into our world, and, um, and in his inaugural address, Jesus announcing his kingdom in the Gospel of Luke, the early chapters, chapter four, in fact, he opens the scroll of Isaiah to the place where it, it contains these words, and he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. Now, the word anointed is literally the word Christed, if you've ever wondered where does the second part, Jesus Christ, where does the Christ come from? That's what he was talking about here. That the Spirit of God has Christed me to preach good news to the poor. To sent, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says that he rolled the scroll up and he, as he was sitting down, he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this Easter, we are uh, thinking together about pure Jesus. And the question we're asking is, does the Jesus you know, is Jesus as you experience Jesus, the pure Jesus? Or do you have a knockoff? You know, uh, have you been kind of got, got a filtered Jesus? through whatever experience has brought you to this place? How would you know if you're getting a pure Jesus or if you're missing something, right? Now, there are two ways that we get to know people, really. One is through what they say. We hear their words, and then we listen to their words, and then we wonder, is that true, right? Because we're hearing it, but we get to know people through their words. And so what do we do? We then evaluate them by their deeds, What do they do? If what they say lines up with what they do, then we tend to say, well, maybe I could trust them. Maybe I could start to get to know them better. I'm starting to get to know them because of their deeds and their words. Well, Luke, on the front end of his gospel, is saying, here's what Jesus said. It's kind of an opportunity to get to know him. Jesus said that he was Christed. That means that he bears the unique anointing of God's spirit from Almighty God so that people could experience him in no less than four ways. This is what his words say. First, in hope that breaks the cycle of impoverished living, not just simply uh, economic insecurity, but spiritual poverty. That part of us that says there's got to be more than simply what what I know materially. And then he said, so the first one is hope. And then help, help. When we feel like we're trapped or we're um, stalled or stuck or we need to find a way into a stronger future, then Jesus said he can bring that freedom for the captives. And then he said healing, defeating disability, recovery of sight for the blind. What does that mean? So that maybe we can see what we've been missing. And we didn't know we were missing it because we didn't see that we were missing it. So he's going to help open our eyes so that he can do that. That's what he's saying. So if you want to check yourself and say, am I getting pure, Jesus? Well, do I experience hope and help and healing? Am I seeing what I'm missing? And then he says, just release for the oppressed. That's wholeness, a wholeness for those when we feel crushed By the burden of adversity, Jesus says he can enter into those those, uh, broken places and bring a heralding out of that. He can give you a story to tell that others can listen to. It'll make a difference. Actually, the word is apostle. This is Jesus, the words that he said at the beginning of his ministry. He said, I have come so that I can make heralds from those who have been broken. I will put a new story in them uh, so that now they can announce the year of God's favor, the time of God's grace has come. Well, what does it look like? Well, he just told us it looks like hope and help and healing and wholeness that gives you a new story to tell that then makes a difference in other people's lives. So how do you know if you got the pure Jesus? Well, by his words, that's one of the things. How do you know that you're missing out? Well, you're not experiencing what he said. And Dr. Luke, you know, Luke was a Gentile physician. Dr. Luke is kind of giving us a spiritual diagnostic. He's an investigative reporter, actually. He wasn't one of the 12. His gospel says that he interviewed them personally, that he did research and then gathered information from the eyewitness accounts and put those stories in his book. Luke, the gospel of Luke, so that we could come along and we could pay attention to what he said, we could see what he did, and as a result, get to know him, the pure Jesus. But not simply words for our minds or deeds as historical events events unfold, but we have the spiritual opportunity to allow his anointed hands to give shape to our lives, like a potter would to clay. Which makes sense because three chapters later in the book of Isaiah from the text where Jesus read and said, here's what I came to do, that the people respond by saying this, oh Lord, we are the clay and you are the potter. We would like for your hands to give shape to our lives and to our future. And so Luke is simply saying to those of us who are readers, who are coming along later and picking up the story, he's saying, here's how you can get to know Jesus, if you will, if you want to. You can hear his words, and you can watch his deeds, and then you can experience his hands shaping your life to give you hope and help and healing and wholeness so that we can ask ourselves today, this Easter 2019, am I connecting with the pure Jesus or am I settling for something less? Am I like one of those who, <laughs> so many in rush hour that just rush right on by? You know, we're like, we're distracted, we're distressed, we're distraught, we're, we're, uh, we're disconnected. And it's like we're just driven by demands that are just pushing us through, making us feel like, hey, I don't have time. Uh, and so we don't slow down, and we don't pay attention, and we don't listen up, and we don't know what we're missing. Just like that man that day. Here's what the hidden camera showed uh, that caught the man who started first. He was starting his way by, and then suddenly stops, and then he kind of cycles back, and then he, he waits and watches and listens. Check it out. one of over 1,000 people, and he got distracted enough by, from his distractions <laughs> to find peace. That's what he said he felt as he was listening, peace. Now, speaking of distractions, I got distracted when I was preparing this talk. I was doing some research, and I came across a headline that arrested my faith. It was from Tim Berners-Lee. He's a computer scientist, the inventor of the World Wide Web. And I think what the headline said is, inventor of the World Wide Web devastated by the abuses of his innovation. And uh, he invented it in 1989, and he released the source code for free no charge, to make the web an open and democratic platform. But instead of serving humanity, the article says, as he intended it for it to do, that he says, quote, it failed in many places, close quote. And then it went on. He said it ended up, quote, without deliberate action of the people who designed the platform. So the creators weren't involved in what happened that went wrong with it, but it became a large-scale emergent phenomenon which is anti-human, close quote. Hmm. And so now he believes it's been twisted into something that's bad for humanity. But he still has hope that the internet can become something that serves us well, so he's working on a fix, an ecosystem that, um, that will help people control their own data. Now, I'm telling you that story because here's the story that came to my mind. I'm thinking there's some uncanny parallels to another story I'm familiar with, the story of Scripture, actually, (laughs) where the, the creator of this dream creation offers freely the opportunity only to watch things go desperately wrong. And now most everybody realizes it needs a fix. We stand in need of a fix. I don't know if that's just the way preachers think, but do you see that storyline? Because that storyline is in this book before I ever read it from the inventor of the World Wide Web. And yet the Bible says that God doesn't simply look at a creation gone wrong and then try to do an external fix. He doesn't try to build an ecosystem and then put it on the users. What he does is that he enters into the program and then seeks to bring redemption from the inside, not from the outside, so that God comes all the way down to lift us all the way up, that he writes himself into our story, that he might write us, write us, R-I-G-H-T, through his story. He's going to set things right. And that's the gospel story. By the end of Luke's gospel, we see that fix at work. Jesus in chapter four says, here's what it looks like. These are the words that I'm telling you. So you can evaluate pure Jesus by his words. But by the end of the story that Luke's telling us, he said, now look at how those words have been translated into lives. Look how they've become deeds in people. Uh, so Luke's gospel, when it, it really won't take you that long to read. If you want to know the book that's behind the movie, (laughs) Luke is a great place to start in trying to understand pure Jesus. But by the time you get to the closing chapters of Luke, he tells about five or six stories of people, real lives, around the cross and the resurrection from the Christed one. I mean, the one who claimed in the beginning that he was anointed in a unique way from God, In order to bring hope, healing, help, wholeness, and give a whole new message that could bring a new day, right? And now Luke tells us at the end of the gospel what that looks like. Actually, the first story he tells is from Jesus who's already on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been bloodied. He's been nailed up there. And the first thing, the first story we're invited into is a prayer that he prays. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they have eyes. They have ears. They don't get it. They don't see it. It's like they're oblivious. Maybe they're hardened by the cruelty that was demanded by their work. He's talking about the Roman soldiers at the time. Um, Maybe they were just calloused by another day of suiting up, powering through to get the job done. Some of us know how that feels. You know, you get up, you suit up, you power through (laughs) to just get your job done for another day, and yet they're from the cross, the trash heap outside Jerusalem known as Skull Hill, that's Golgotha, we hear this magnificent music. Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they don't know. It's Jesus loving his enemies and offering forgiveness that can bring freedom to people who don't know what they're missing. It's like, <laughs> what are they thinking? Well, they're mocking him. You know, it's like, who, who is this crazy Jew? You know what they said? Verse 35 says, the rulers sneered at him first. He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the what? Christ, there's that word again. That's, what's, that's what we're supposed to see that's being tested here. How would you know that what he said aligns with what he did? That's what they were trying to show. If you're the Christ, then you saved others. Save yourself, the chosen one of God. Then the soldiers jump in, verse 36. Soldiers mocked him. If you're the Christ, the king of the Jews, then why don't you save yourself? Didn't he say he was anointed to set the prisoners free? Hey, prisoner, free yourself, Christ is being put to the test. Then it says the criminals, verse 39, they're hanging there with him and hurling their insults at him. There's verbal violence going on. Verse 39, aren't you the Christ? There's that word again. Then save yourself and us. And then something happens. We're not told what, we're just shown evidence That something changes. One of the thieves changes his tune and says, hey, talks to his fellow criminal, we're getting punished for what we've done. We deserve the sentence that we're experiencing here, but this man's done nothing wrong. And then he talks to Jesus personally, calls him by name, Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's that? That's a declaration of faith. That's saying, you don't look like a king, but I believe you're a king. That's saying, I don't know where your kingdom is, but I believe you've got a kingdom. And that's saying, I make you my king. That's what he's saying. What has happened? Oh, my, a recovery of sight from the blind. A moment earlier, he wasn't getting it, and suddenly it's like, whoa, I didn't know what I was missing. I don't want to miss this. And so what does Jesus say? The king responds and says, hey, from here forward, you and me You know me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. What's Jesus doing? <laughs> he's defeating disability through recovery of sight to the blind. He's conquering captivity through forgiveness and reversing the, the, uh, the despair into an opportunity of hope. Next story, a Roman centurion. Close enough to hear Jesus as he's dying. He gasps his dying breath other into your hands. I commit my spirit. And uh, Luke says that the eyewitnesses that were there telling him the story that he wrote down for us say that centurion, who to that point was part of the execution team, has now become a preacher. It says he praised God. Something happened in his heart. Instead of killing Jesus, he's now praising God, and doing what? He's saying, surely this was a righteous man. There's a new story coming out of his mouth. What's, ta- what's happening here? Is, do you hear the music? Next, the women. It says the women. Luke wants us to know about the women. The women had followed him from Galilee, and now they were watching from a distance, which really raises the question, where are the guys, right? Where's the 12? Well, when things started getting violent, the guys kind of left. But the women stay. They are the last ones at the cross, and now... The first ones at the tomb, Luke chapter 24, he doesn't want us to miss this, verse 1, verse 22. Luke says the women were the first ones to the tomb on that Sunday morning, and they found the stone rolled away, and what looked like, they were reminded by what looked like two men that were dressed in lightning. I mean, this was before computer graphics special effects, Right? I mean, <laughs> dressed in lightning. How does that work? What is that? What was that? It's just, I don't know. It just, they looked like they were dressed in lightning. And they said that Jesus had reminded, they wanted, Jesus wanted them to tell them that, you know, Christ would be crucified, he would raise on the third day, and now they need to go tell the apostles. So now the women rush back to tell the apostles, and he even tells us their names Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. There were some others. Who are they? Well, if you read the gospel, you'll see back in Luke chapter 8, these are some of the women who by their own financial gifts were underwriting the itinerant ministry of Jesus. You know, how did the team cover their bills and their expenses? Well, these were some of the women who had been out of their own resources were supporting the apostles and Jesus' work. And, uh, and now they go back to tell the men, and the men don't believe them. So it just seems like nonsense, which, of course, you know, what? this. And by the way, in that day, women were among the most oppressed in society. They couldn't testify in a court of law, and yet here, the Christ, the Christed one, has transformed their oppression into a new voice that is now delivering the message to the apostles. They were apostles to the apostles. Didn't Jesus say that he was going to make heralds, apostles out of the broken, out of those that were crushed down who would now be telling a new story. Do you hear that? Do you hear the music playing? That's what's happening here. The music is playing. Do you hear it? Has it happened to you? Is it happening to you? Listen, we get to know Jesus in two ways, maybe three. Through listening to his words, that means paying attention to what he says, and then through observing his deeds, watching what he does, and seeing if it aligns to, you know, if the words match his deeds. And then the third way is this, when it's not just history in the past, but it's a personal experience in the present, that we allow his hands to start giving shape to our lives. And Luke's wanting us to have that invitation. So he tells us another story. There's another one that comes. Verse 50. A member of the Sanhedrin, this is the Jewish Supreme Court at the time, the high court, uh, there was a dissenting voice to those who rushed to judge Jesus, and he says, now this guy has, has found somehow he's been freed up. He's found the courage to go to Pilate, who is the political leader of the oppressors of their people. It's not an easy thing to do, but he goes to him, and he says, I want his body, and he puts the dead body of Jesus in his own tomb and forever links the name Joseph of Arimathea with Jesus of Nazareth this new hope and freedom being born out of the distraction, the distance. And then in Luke chapter 24, the risen Christ appears to the disciples. They're behind closed doors. I mean, they're locked, they're secure, but it says that Jesus shows up and they're startled, they're frightened, they think they've seen a ghost <laughs> and you can understand why. I mean, we look back and we know the story, but man, they're right in the raw middle of it. It's happening and Jesus shows up and they they're scared to death and he says, "No, look look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself." I'm thinking if there were a way that we could beam in, you know, across history and in time, this would be a cool one to be in. This would be wild, wouldn't it? It would be crazy to show up and watch Jesus showing up with the guys and saying, It is I myself. I think that would be amazing. But then what does he invite them to do? Touch me. See. See what? See what you've been missing. See what you didn't know. Touch some pure Jesus. And see the music. By the end of the chapter, he reminds them again. He says, the Christ will suffer. There's that word again. You want to know if you're experiencing pure Jesus and not some knockoff, not some filtered, then you got to understand how this all works. The Christ will suffer. He will rise from the dead. And then what's going to happen is repentance and forgiveness. Repentance means freedom from your past. Freedom and forgiveness will now be preached. In, the name, in his name to all nations, nobody's gonna be left out and you're gonna be the witnesses. He's making heralds out of the cowards, out of the broken, out of the past. He's making a new story. And they're not just gonna be witnesses, they're gonna be part of the evidence. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody not long ago. Amazing movie, incredible story about some uh, tremendous musicians and then also very tragic about Freddie Mercury and, um, of Queen. And I stay to the closing credits and I'm listening to this incredible music and I'm very curious about what's the song that's gonna play out the final closing credits. I do this at movies. I don't know why, but I, I do it. Stay to the end, you know, they're sweeping up the popcorn and I'm watching to see the closing credits and listen to the music. And, uh, and the song that comes on is On and On. That's the last song that's soundtracked behind the, uh, the closing credits. And in that song, On and On, the lyric has Freddie singing this Does anybody know what we're living for? Outside, the dawn is breaking, but inside, in the dark, I'm aching. To be free. And then there's this pulsing, pounding chorus that says, The show must go on. The show must go on. The show must go on. And I'm doing my preparation here and I'm listening to that and watching that and I'm thinking about the guy at the subway and I'm wondering if. I don't know what soundtrack was playing in the minds of those people, but I'm just wondering if it was, hey, the show must go on. and I don't have time for this. I've got to let my drivenness distract me. I get, you know, the show must go on. I got to just power through. I just got to, you know what the Easter angel is saying? Don't miss the music, the real music. And we're supposed to notice, did you notice that what Jesus said he would do in the beginning is what Luke says he actually did in lives by the end. He brought hope to the hopeless help, to the helpless recovery of sight, to those who didn't know what they were missing. And then he took the crushed and put a new, a new song, a new message in their mouths so that now because of the change that was happening in their life, they could share it with others. And so the question is this, Luke wants me to ask, is that happening to you? Because that's how you know you've gotten in touch with the pure Jesus. I mean, the real one, is it happening for you? And you don't have to answer the question. I can tell you already, I know the answer. Only if you feel the need. Only if that need is more distracting than the distractions that already have your attention. See, you won't feel the pure Jesus any more than those people experienced the mastery of the musician on that amazing instrument that day because they were just driving on through and didn't know what they were missing. So I could be wrong about this, you know, but, um, but my observation is that we don't think we're that poor. That's why we don't feel the blessing of his gift because we don't feel the need. We don't think we're captives. Hey, we're free. We self-define. We self-determine. We don't need him to set us free because we're already free. And, And we're not blind. Hey, listen, we're not blind. I see things more clearly. I don't get why people don't see things as clearly as I do. You understand how that works? You see things clearly. You just don't understand why other people don't get it. It's not because you're blind, right? Now, when it comes to oppressed, many people feel oppressed these days, and here's how we respond to that. We think that power politics is going to give us a voice. Like I said, I could be wrong, and somebody may be thinking it right now. But the reason I'm saying it is because I'm just wondering, are you rushing through life? And are you missing the master? Are you missing the music? Are you missing the miracle that Jesus, the anointed of God, could bring to your life if you were willing to let the potter give shape to your future? And then you would know the pure Jesus, right? Pray with me. We're going to need help with this one, Lord. Because we just don't know what we don't know, and yet we think we're getting it. So we pray that your spirit would call our hearts out today and help us to lean in closer that you might have your shaping opportunity with our lives. And show us what the music can mean if we're willing to listen to pause. What better day than Easter than to stop, double back, and listen. If God is inviting you to listen right now, would you say, Lord, I'm open. I'm willing. You've got my attention. I don't want to miss what you have for me in Christ. And perhaps today, is your day of salvation and you can take your first steps of faith in real relationship with pure Jesus. How? It can start with just a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you are God's anointed. Come in love for me. And on the cross, offered forgiveness. Forgive my sins that from an empty grave you offered fullness. Come into my life and now lead me and give shape to my future as I trust you. Now our heads still bowed just for a moment longer, but if you prayed that prayer and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, then I'm gonna invite you simply to raise your hand and keep it raised for just a few moments. Nobody's looking but me. If you're joining us online, you can click right there on the screen and we'll be praying with you and for you right now. Kendall Campus, our pastor's paying attention. In our overflow rooms, you know our pastors are watching and paying attention right now. So, as you have raised your hand, God bless you. I see right here in the center toward the front to my right and toward my left, God bless you. And then toward the back, toward the middle, amen, right on the aisle. Thank you. To my far left against the wall, amen. To my right, toward the front, God bless you, sir. Right here on the aisle, in the center and on the right, amen. Lord, for every person by uplifted hand who is saying, my heart is open and I'm listening and I don't want to miss what you have for me. We pray right now that in response to your faith, they might sense your presence coming alive in them and bringing peace that passes understanding and joy that is beyond words and blessing as they begin their walk with you as we make our prayer in your name. Amen.